Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm John Hay, the Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor of Global Capital. In case this is your first time listening, Global Capital is a newspaper based in London which covers the international capital markets. Our podcast is a weekly look at one of the hottest talking points in the markets. If you're interested and would like to learn more, go to globalcapital.com. This week, we're going to be talking about a company whose name has been familiar to global capital readers in Asia for a long time, but which has suddenly burst onto the front pages of newspapers all over the world, Evergrande. It's a big Chinese property developer listed in Hong Kong, and it's in a lot of trouble. For many years, it was constantly in the capital markets news because it was issuing debt, especially bonds, in both the Chinese domestic market and internationally in dollars. Now there's a serious possibility that it might default on all that debt, and it's got a lot of people all around the world very worried. Could Evergrande even be China's Lehman Brothers? With me to discuss the implications and what's going to happen next are two global capital journalists who've been covering the story. I'm Rashmi Kumar, editor of Global Capital Asia, based in Singapore. And I'm Ollie West, a Latin American bonds reporter based in Bogota, Colombia. Rashmi, China's a big place and the world is even bigger. Why are people worried about one company? That's a very good question, John. So let's just look at the numbers first. Evergrande is a giant when it comes to China's real estate industry. It owns more than a thousand building projects in nearly 300 cities in the country. And its total assets equal roughly 2% of China's total GDP. It is also one of Asia's most prolific bond issuers. It has sold numerous bonds in both dollars and in renminbi onshore, so much so that it has $300 billion in debt outstanding. Perhaps also equally important is that the company's operations go beyond just building homes. It has a number of other business lines, including building electric vehicles, media production, mineral water, and even soccer. So naturally, it is a critical part of the Chinese economy and China's financial sector. Um, Its financial health and stability are very important, and its collapse can have big consequences not just on the property sector, but also on the financial sector and Asia's bond market more broadly. The property sector, because Chinese property companies are a very big part of Asia's debt market. Ollie, you cover emerging market bonds in the Western Hemisphere, for want of a better word, Europe, the Middle East, Africa and Latin America. Is what's happening to Evergrande affecting that market? Well, uh, John, to be frank, yes, uh, when global markets get kicked, it tends to be emerging markets that get kicked the hardest, um, as there's far less capital dedicated to emerging markets than developed markets. And Monday was a bad day for everyone uh, when the world sort of realized what was happening at, at Evergrande. And inevitably, Latin America and African Middle Eastern bonds were also affected. Uh, but Monday was really just about people cutting back on their exposure to risky investments and there are plenty of them in emerging markets. So, for example, Latin America, my, my area, area of closest interest, it was bonds of countries like El Salvador, Argentina, uh, the riskiest borrowers in the region that sold off in particular. 
but remarkably, it's been a short-lived period of volatility. Uh, and I think that's just because there's no real consensus over just how important Evergrande is. And uh, the initial fear for most investors is whether there is this knock-on effect on the Chinese property market, etc., which I'm sure we'll go, we'll go back to. But it strikes me that there's still a big question mark over Evergrande's future, and therefore a big question mark over its um, the possible inf- implications for, for other emerging market nations. So, Rashmi, uh, just tell us what's actually the, the state of play right now, because um, obviously we're talking about Evergrande having trouble servicing its debt, but what's what's actually happening right now? Okay, so Thursday, September 23rd was a critical day for the company. It had two coupon payments that were due on Thursday, one for an onshore bond and the other on a dollar bond. So for the onshore bond, um, the company has a property arm in mainland China. It's a company called Hengda. So Hengda said it has negotiated with bondholders for the coupon payment. It didn't do this through a clearinghouse and didn't really provide any detail on what exactly was negotiated. For the offshore portion, a couple of Evergrande bondholders um, told Global Capital on Friday morning that they still hadn't received any money and they hadn't received any updates from the company either. So this is about 83.5 million US dollars of payment that's due on the dollar bond. Uh, But what's important is that it's the radio silence from the company that's really been worrying. Um, The company does have a 30-day grace period to make the payment before an event of default can actually be declared. So in China, for the Chinese bond, you say they negotiated with the investors, but does that mean they negotiated and paid it or negotiated and didn't pay? It has said it has negotiated a plan with the bondholders to pay the outstanding interest. But as I said, there are no details yet. This means that even if it hasn't paid on time, at least this resolution with the bondholders preempts a payment default and it does offer some comfort to investors. Okay, so what I'm thinking about is the Chinese system has been very robust so far, and it's really felt like the Chinese government has controlled all the levers and avoided a lot of debt default. And of course, there's huge debt that's built up in various parts of the Chinese economy over the past more than a decade. But but so far, I believe the Chinese government has sort of kept kept it all stable. Now, is the question that this is really about the Chinese government and what they're going to decide to do? How the situation will be resolved will be a big test for China because it's a privately owned company in a sector that the government has been working on reducing the excessive leverage in as well as the speculation around the property market. So this means there is a situation where if the government rides to Evergrande's rescue with a bailout, That will almost be contradictory to its policy messages so far around how it wants to tighten control over the sector. So what is more likely to happen is that the government may perhaps step in with some limited state support. It may perhaps bring in a couple of state-owned companies to help shore up liquidity at Evergrande. But the government will need to bear in mind how it actually uh, how it actually tackles this, what kind of communication it does um, with both onshore and offshore investors, because no matter what it does and how it how it organizes the whole restructuring process, I think that would really be critical in terms of the sentiment and the appetite among international investors for onshore China debt. Yes. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because investors 
international investors usually want China to be more of a free market economy, to go more in the direction of liberalizing markets. Uh, but we've now got a situation where if they take a very laissez-faire approach, it looks like the company's going to go down and, and bring down um, a lot of, uh, well, cost investors a lot of money. So w- what do investors want that, want to happen? I think should Evergrande default, the base case is of an orderly government-led restructuring. Now, I do know that there are some international investors that are concerned that maybe they will not get any priority in a possible restructuring of the debt, um, that maybe the government will prioritize domestic investors over international investors. But there is also some sort of consensus that that would not happen, if only because Chinese government would want to maintain its reputation with international investors. Um, The idea is that and what investors do want is communication at this moment, because the government hasn't stepped up and explicitly offered any support for Evergrande so far. Evergrande itself has remained rather silent on what its plans are to manage its offshore debt. Um, And what at the moment is missing is just real clarity um, from both the parties in terms of what's going to happen. I think liquidation is definitely out of the cards, uh, which does really mean that a restructuring is potentially the solution. Okay, And with a property company, of course, often they use secured debt, secured on individual properties. Um, And one would expect that that a a property company that goes bust, at least it has physical assets. It's got land, it's got buildings and so on. So um, is there any chance of investors uh, getting repaid that way if it does default? A lot of the bonds are unsecured bonds. Um, when it comes to the loans that Evergrande has taken, the feeling at least is that the Chinese banking sector can digest the default from Evergrande without any big consequences. And this is because a lot of the bank loans or the project loans, they're actually secured over the assets, um, the buildings and the lands that uh, the land that Evergrande has. Um, Any indirect exposure to Evergrande as well that banks may have, the expectation is that that will also be largely manageable. But I think at least from my conversations with a lot of the investors here, the bigger issue is simply the impact on sentiment among banks, investors, onshore, offshore suppliers, Um, as well as just a lot of the general public, too, that have bought a lot of properties from Evergrande, uh, but which basically haven't been completed yet, and they're just in limbo at the moment. Yes, so what do you think would be the effect? Obviously, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but if if there is a default, um, and and let's say one without very strong government support, is this going to cause a wider loss of confidence in China's property industry? Um, Absolutely, because if a default occurs, there's a good chance of cross defaults on a host of other offshore bonds that Evergrande has as well. I mean, the company, I think they have about 680 million or 700 million in coupon payments due just from now until the end of the year. Um, So this, of course, means we've already started seeing signs of that risk aversion to property bonds from China. Uh, Primary bond issuance from the sector has almost stopped for weeks now. Um, The secondary performance of Chinese dollar bonds have also come under pressure. Um, The problem is that even putting the Evergrande situation aside, a lot of companies in the property sector have shown a big fall in sales and pricing over the past few months. Um, And the expectation is that that could slip even further as the government tightens regulation on the sector. 
Um, my take is that it would really come down to how the restructuring or the bankruptcy proceedings go in the case of a default. It needs to be orderly because the property sector is one of the largest growth contributors for the Chinese economy. And if, of course, there is a big crisis of confidence, it could affect the country's overall stability. And if the restructuring is chaotic and international bond investors feel sidelined, then that could very quickly cut off a key funding avenue for a lot of the other property companies and reprice all the bonds in the sector as well. Thinking about the contagion, um, and we, we, yeah. Rashmi was talking about the possible contagion, you know, within the Chinese property sector and 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 China. But you know, in a way, it seems absurd that that a Chinese property company that's domestically focused should affect the risk appetite of investors in New York for bonds from Africa, Indeed. for example. <laughs> but but is that likely to actually be the case? Well, at first glance, uh, no, in, in short. Um, I think what would be highly concerning is if, um, say, an Evergrande default were to impose major losses on uh, the emerging market bond community as a whole, and uh, that would cause redemptions of, of, of for, for emerging market funds um, and, and trigger a, a sort of panic sell-off. Um, that seems unlikely um, at the moment because the Chinese bonds uh, tend to be allocated largely to, to regional investors, um, even the international bonds. And I don't think that Evergrande's problems are in any way... Um, a representation of, of problems happening in, in other emerging emerging countries. So I don't think it's a case of emerging market bondholders selling in a panic and, and asset prices unraveling. Um, if we needed further proof that, at least in the short term, um, emerging market bond investors are not particularly worried. This week we had Nigeria, Egypt, and Gol, a Brazilian low-cost airline, all in the new issue market, raising debt. They're all single B-rated entities so quite high risk and although some deals went better than others um egypt perhaps would have liked to raise a, bit, a little bit more than it did than the three billion it did um they they all went sailed through the market effectively and i think that's particularly impressive given that the china uh, uncertainty came on the in the week of a, a federal open market committee in other words the u.s federal reserve deciding where US monetary policy is going, a, a meeting that happens every couple of months and always has the propensity to trigger volatility in emerging markets. Yeah, that's another big issue this week, isn't it, for Indeed. emerging markets? Uh, people have been speculating for months about when the Federal Reserve will begin reducing the $120 billion of bonds it buys every month. Yeah. <laughs> and and the Fed more or less said it's going to start tapering those purchases in November, didn't yeah, it? that's definitely the that's definitely the consensus of, of analysts. And is that going to cause perhaps even more trouble in emerging markets than uh, than Evergrande? It certainly has the potential to, but what we've seen this year is that the Fed has developed an incredible skill to be delicate with its language when it um, hints at what it's going to do in the future with, with monetary policy. This comes from 2013, when the Fed shocked everyone by hinting it would slow its asset purchases, which triggered terrible pain for emerging market assets that flowed over into emerging economies that really took years 
um, it took years for these countries to recover from. So because the Federal Reserve has been so careful, none of this is a surprise anymore. Um, and we've seen period periods of volatility this year, but we've never seen a sustained sell-off in emerging assets. Where it could have been disastrous, and some people were perhaps worried on Monday, was the combination of the Fed tightening plus the Evergrande worries. Because I think tighter mon- monetary policy in the context of a glowing, growing global economy, that's fine. Tighter monetary policy where there are still troubles and headwinds ahead is more worrying for investors. So for now, EM has digested the blow quite well, but it almost seems inevitable that as tapering happens, there will be more interruptions. And another connection, of course, between Evergrande and emerging markets is actually the industrial one, isn't it? Because um, many emerging markets rely on exporting commodities particularly metals to china yes um and and a lot of that goes into building uh apartment blocks and office blocks and um if if we get into a situation where the property market has a loss of confidence it could it could actually slow the pace of construction couldn't it and hence reduce commodity demand yeah in fact uh, csn which is a brazilian uh steel producer was one of the was one of the biggest uh was one of the, the the bonds that sold off the most on Monday. Um, so even though you know there, the, the general sell off was not terrible, uh, there were cases such as this CSN company, which is directly um, exposed to the Chinese property sector, uh, that are suffering more. Which I think says a lot about where the pain might occur. Do you think this feels like a, a big turning point is this is this a kind of new moment that's going to be looked back on as you know a time a, a moment when things changed absolutely i think um i don't think we've had a company of this scale with so much debt outstanding both onshore and offshore coming close to a default like situation the fact that it's privately owned and from a sector that the government is looking to tighten control of, I think that's really interesting. And simply the fact that the whole situation with Evergrande is coming so soon after another, um, not necessarily a default situation, but another um, financial troubles at another state-owned company, China, who are wrong asset management. So investors in a span of a few months, they've had to digest a lot of concerns around Huarong and very soon after by Evergrande. Um, So absolutely, I think it could lead to repricing of debt. It could lead to investors having um, to completely rejig their portfolios. And we're already seeing that to some extent. A lot of the money that used to flow into Chinese bonds are increasingly now going into Indian bonds or Southeast Asian bonds. Um, So investors are already taking a step back from China debt. The problem is that I don't think they can remain away from the Chinese bond market for too long. So the market is just simply too big for investors to be able to ignore it. Um, They may be risk averse for some time, uh, but I think they will have to eventually come back. They'll perhaps start with the investment grade rated names and ones with closer ties to the government. I think property sector would definitely, definitely be out of favor for a while. So this turning point, Rashmi, is also coming at a time when the Chinese government is changing its own role within the markets, isn't it? And within the way it steers the economy. Um, I think if we think back to the Asian crisis of 1997, 
one could assume that the Chinese government and the Thai government and all the others really did everything they could to to stop the crisis. And and if the crisis happened, it was it was it was out of their control. But in this case, it, it feels like you know the government could could stop it, but they don't feel that's necessarily the right thing to do. Um, you're absolutely right. They can stop it. They don't think it's the right time to step in yet. But they are still offering support in other ways. So they are trying to find every available measure that they can to prevent the Evergrande situation from triggering a systemic financial crisis. Um, for instance, the People's Bank of China, which is the Chinese central bank, they've injected billions of dollars of renminbi liquidity into the financial system this month. Um, including one just over the past few days as a way to boost liquidity in the market. Um, there's also been um, some Evergrande-backed wealth management products that were held by retail investors. Those investors protested at the headquarters of Evergrande to you know, bid to get their money back. So there is a feeling that the Chinese regulators are likely to step in to ask for a bit more of an orderly resolution of the process. There are also lots of reports indicating that the government has hired its own financial advisors to assess the Evergrande situation. So it does seem like there are signs that there could be a government-led debt restructuring. It's just the fact that we simply haven't heard much beyond all of these market rumors um, and articles being published in state media um, suggesting that a restructuring is coming, um, but the government actually hasn't explicitly stepped in just yet. And another interesting thing, of course, is that this is in a way similar to what happened with Lehman Brothers, where the US government, of course, had it in its power to save Lehman Brothers, but decided not to. And they let it go down, uh, in my view, the right decision. But but what happened, of course, after that was then they they had to then rescue all the other financial institutions. So, Ollie, do you feel uh, we could be on the verge of another Lehman? Well, um, I think I'll leave that to the to the China experts. But one thing that uh, catches my attention is um, in the in the wake of Lehman, really, it was China that saved the day for emerging markets. The Chinese demand um, was was for commodities was so strong that meant that the the, the financial crisis of 2008 9 was very short lived in, in places like Latin America. Um, so, really, a, a weaker China going forward would be um, would be a concern in the in the in the long term. So, from from Latin America and and, and most other emerging markets perspective, we we just hope that this is as as clean as possible. Yes, I'm sure there are many many people around the world, and especially in China, hoping for that. Well, thank you very much, Rashmi and Ollie, for joining me to discuss this. Thank you, John. Thank you very it was much. It a pleasure. And thank you for listening to Global Capital's podcast this week. If you have any feedback, do let us know. You can email me at john, without an H, dot hey, at globalcapital.com. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast free, it's on all the major podcast platforms, or visit us at globalcapital.com. Until next week. Bye-bye.